you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Really honored to be here today. Any time that I get to be the one who points us into God's Word, it's such an honor. And um, I'm I'm really excited about this message in particular because I've been praying about this um, for weeks, and really feel that this this passage God is leading us to is something that He He wants. He is, is really um, good for, for us, for this group, for us on a Sunday. I get to be part of you. I'm just making myself part of you this morning because this is where I get to worship too. But I, this, is, this, is, this passage has just been on my heart. And so here's what I'd ask us to do. I know that however you came in here today, you might be super bummed that school's starting or you might be super excited that school's starting. You might be thinking, about, you know, I know it's a fair weekend. I know that... Um, you know, we got a picnic and all this stuff going on. But if we can just take the next little block of time, four or five hours tops, <laughs> and just kind of put our week aside and just say, you know, it's going to be there when we get back. But we gather here, and I really appreciated the, the folks who were leading us in the worship. We gather here because we like really believe that God is going to show up and speak to us today. Otherwise, we're idiots. I mean, this is really a gigantic waste of time if we don't actually believe that God is going to say something to us about whatever. I don't even know. And so I'm going to pray as we get started and with that idea. And I just I join you to ask you to join me in praying that, that just take whatever's in your mind, put it aside. We can pick it up later, but that we would just kind of clear our minds to hear what God would say to us. All right? Father, we believe that you... You not only want to speak to us, but you're able to speak to us. You created us to be together with you. And since the fall, you've been working a way for that to happen again. And Lord, there's a, in a room this size, there's so many different things going on. And we need to hear from you in so many different ways. God, would you please come and speak to us through your word? And then would you empower us by your spirit to be obedient with it. And that we would leave here today different than when we walked in. It's for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians 3. It's where we're going to look at five verses. 2 Corinthians 3, uh, starting in verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, um, run to the app store really fast and download one. 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 7, says this. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. This verse, this passage, is loaded with all kinds of things that it's easy for us to miss. Because we live 
2,000 years from when this was written. And we're a completely different group of people. We're not even the same nationality as these folks. And, and so, you know, there are some of these rules and interpretation that, that we ha- are going to have to lean on a little bit today. And I want to illustrate one of them this way. If, uh, let's say that 2,000 years from now, in the land of flying cars, thank you, Back to the Future, for the big letdown on that one, um, they stumble across, they're doing an archaeological dig here in Rapid, and they come across this invitation where Chris Romanenko is hosting a Super Bowl party. It's the Super Bowl party 2020, and, and we're going to be watching the Jaguars and the Lions play, which explains the archaeological dig, because the, the apocalypse followed this soon after. That's obvious. And so all these linguists and these anthropologists get together and they start looking at the fragments of this invite and they say, well, we see this word party and, and we know what a party is. A party is where people back then, they used to get together and they would just, for no reason, just to have fun. And so we kind of get a party and then there's this bowl. And so we know what a bowl is. A bowl, there's like a serving dish. And so that makes sense. And then there's this adjective super in front of us. So this obviously super means great, large, Excellent, and so they start to form some theories here, and, and one of them says, well, we all agree that there's some sort of fun gathering happening, and probably there was some food, and it was probably served in these bowls, and they're kind of arguing about, well, does everyone bring their own bowl, or is, are the bowls provided, or are they, are they super, like, really large bowls, you know, or are they super, like, they're really fancy? Um, is it just one bowl? Is it just like this big Super Bowl that everyone kind of eats out of? And, but we all know that the entertainment for the evening will be when these jaguars and lions fight each other. And that's the purpose for why they're gathering. And so the implications here, if you have this large house where you can have an arena where lions and jaguars fight each other, that Chris must be doing really well for himself. And, you know, and they start to build these things. And we look at that and we're like, you've got to be kidding me. Because when we hear the word, the phrase Super Bowl, immediately, even if you're not a sports fan, all of these images just start coming into your mind. Right? All of these thoughts and memories and emotions and ideas. I mean, I just, you just this is why, by the way, the, the, the two words Super Bowl, it's why they're copyrighted. Right? It's why everyone advertises the big game in February, because no one can, can say Super Bowl, because that phrase has so much baggage with it, in a good way, that, that someone wants to own it. We want to own all of the ideas. When you think about the Super Bowl, we want to own all of those. And, and so there's a principle here that when we read Scripture, when we read any historical document, we're trying to figure out what did this mean to the people that heard it? And so we're not like these crazy anthropologists 2,000 years from now trying to piece together the Super Bowl, that we're actually trying to figure out what this looks. So we're going to unpack just a little bit of this. We're going to go back in time and look at some of what I'm just going to call Super Bowl phraseology that's in this passage. And we're going to look at just four, four little vignettes, if you will, of, of Israel. Um, so God created this. He brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Some of you know the story. What we forget sometimes is that these people have been slaves for like 400 years. So they had no culture. 
right? They had no festivals. They had no form of government. They had no laws. They had no religious systems. They were slaves. And God begins to give them a culture. And so we're going to look at these four four little spots in Exodus. Uh, so if you want to hold your finger in 1 Corinthians, go back to Exodus. The first one is Exodus 19. All right, so Exodus 19. These people land outside of Egypt. We're just going to read verses 16 to 19. And they're getting ready, and God says, I'm going to come down, and I'm, I'm going to interact with you. And so we pick up in verse 16. It says, On the morning of the third day... There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Not a metaphorical trumpet. Okay. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain and Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up out of it like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. This is, this is so cool. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke to God and God answered him in thunder. Okay, that's a, that's a crazy scene. That we see this smoke and fire and a whole mountain, like an earthquake, a whole mountain was, was trembling and, and Moses spoke into this and God like literally answered him. Okay? That's, that's vignette number one. Alright? Let's go a couple pages to the right. Exodus 24. We're going to look at verse 9, 10, and 11. This, I, this is one of the coolest. I, we, we could just nerd out on this all day. I, I could. This is so cool. We're not going to spend a ton of time here, but this is such an easy passage to miss. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up. Check this out. And they saw the God of Israel. They saw God. There was under His feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. That's like a a blue stone. Um, Like the very heavens for clearness. And He did not lay His hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. He didn't kill them. Instead, they beheld God and ate and drank. And then verse 12, um, well, well, we'll come back to that one. There's these Moses and these couple guys and 70 leaders go up. They see God. They see God. And they see this, this sapphire language and some of this, if you go to Revelation, it's kind of like the throne of God. That's what they're seeing. They're seeing God like in his heavenly court and his sword. They see this. And they have a meal with God. They eat and they drink in the presence of this. Alright. Number three. A couple verses later. Verse 15. Not verse 15. No, verse 15. I was in chapter 25 for a second there, sorry. Um, I was like, this is not the right verse 15. Okay, uh, 24, verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud, remember that cloud, it covered the mountain. So now Moses is in the cloud, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called out to Moses. Now the appearance of the glory, the appearance of the glory of the Lord 
was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So we have Moses, and, and he's called up to the mountain, and the glory of God comes down, and we find out, um, God starts giving him all these laws, and in uh, Exodus 32, verse 15 and 16, it says that God, Moses took up these tablets, and God like literally wrote on them with his finger the laws. Like, God did that, which, you know, like, it's tempting to be like, did he really? But look, he created the universe with, like, a thought. I think he can write on a rock if he wants to. But he, he actually did this. He, he, like, Moses didn't chisel this out. Like, God was writing the law on these stone tablets. That's crazy. So, last, last vignette four. Uh, let's go a little bit further to the right. Exodus 34. We're going to read a couple of different chunks here. Four, four, five, six, and seven. So Moses had come down from the mountain and the people had been worshiping demon gods and so he like throws throws God's tablets on the ground probably not his best moment so he so he's taking back up stone tablets and verse 4 says, So Moses cut two tablets of stone, like the first. He rose early in the morning, went up on Mount Sinai, and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord, here it is again, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children of the third and fourth generation. God passes before him and just tells him a little bit about what he's like. This is who I am. He declares his name. He declares himself. And then if we... Um, Skip just a few verses down to verse 28. It says, this is crazy. So there he was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither, he neither ate bread nor drank water. Moses is on the mountain this time 40 days and 40 nights. This time like no bread or water. Like God is like supernaturally sustaining him. And then when he comes down, uh, verse 32... Excuse me. Um, verse 29, when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. He's glowing. Not metaphorical, because if we keep reading, it says, Aaron and all the people saw Moses, and and behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were freaked out. They were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and all the leaders of the congregation returned. They had bailed. He said, no, 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 come back. And he talked with them, and afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all the Lord had spoken. He read all the stuff. And when Moses finished speaking, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he'd remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people what the Lord had commanded, and the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went with them. One last little thought. We won't go there, but the very last verses of this book talk about after... 
Moses builds this tent of meeting that God had instructed him. So remember, this is Moses. This is the guy who stood with the Lord. This is the guy who spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When they get done with this temple, with this tabernacle, with this tent of meeting, it says that that cloud, you guys remember the cloud? The cloud comes over that tent. And the presence of the Lord is so strong that not even Moses can walk in. And for 40 years, that cloud, it's a cloud during the day, and get what it is at night, it's a pillar of fire at night. 40 years. Guys, come on, don't just... What if that happened to, like, I don't know, Mexico City? Like, for the next 40 years, over the capital of Mexico, there's just, like, this pillar of fire every night and a cloud in the morning. That'd make the news. Maybe like one day, I don't know. We're pretty like maybe one day, but and then it's like ah, oh, old news. But you know, like this, this is what. So so here, let's go back to our Second Corinthians passage. So here's our Super Bowl moment. Paul starts writing, and he says he uses this phrase carved in letters on stone. Ha! Ah. The Israelites could not gaze on the face of Moses. These things, we read them and we're like, yeah, okay, that's kind of cool. This is like a Super Bowl phrase for these people. There's a lot of Jews that that Paul's writing to here in 2 Corinthians that knew this. And when you said stuff like the shining face of Moses, instantly they remembered all of this stuff. Oh yeah, there was the cloud and there was the earthquake and there was the fire and and all of this stuff. And remember the pillar and all of that came flooding back. And it was, it was there, it was just all of that was connected for them. And so Paul is trying to do something very specific in this passage. And what he's going to say, as we're going to get here in a second, is, is like super scandalous in some ways. And mostly super awesome. He knows all this, so in verse 7, he says, If the ministry of death, we're going to come back to that in a second, but if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on the face of Moses because of its glory, even though that was being brought to an end, will not the glory of the Spirit have even more glory? He's like, you guys remember the glory when God came down and He gave us His law? And they're like, yes, we totally remember. That was like our glory days. Like, we want to go back there. Paul's like, yeah, um, there's something better. Like, what? Like, he was like, there. Like, Moses, you get thundered. Have you not read your history, Paul? Like, that was a big deal. And Paul says, yeah, I know, I know. And then he goes on again. And he says, uh, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, we'll come back to that word in a second, the ministry of righteousness was, will far exceed it. It's like going to far exceed it. And, and he starts drawing this contrast between these two ministries. There's this ministry that he, and this is a scandalous thing, he's calling all of that that happened, that's the ministry of death and condemnation. And there's this other ministry that's like way better. And so there's this head scratch, and you have to read some of other Paul's stuff, but he's saying, look, the one ministry, the reason Paul calls it this ministry of death and condemnation, it's not that it was a bad thing. Alright? These people, like I said, no culture, no religious stuff, they're not, and God shows up and just starts revealing who he is to them. He reveals himself and he reveals his ways. Here's the bad news. When God did that, they're like, we're in trouble. Because that's not, like, we're not like that. 
And this sense of, this is impossible, begins to come. This stuff that you're giving us, God, like we're super glad you wrote it on stone with your finger, but how is this helpful? All this does is just tell us who you are and you're so great and wonderful and we are in big trouble. Romans, especially chapter 3, really develops this theme. I'll just read a verse out of Romans 3, verse 21. It says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we've been, we've become conscious of our sin. It's like, this is, this is this great thing. It came with all this glory, but all it did was just show us how messed up we were. In fact, in verse 6, if you look just right before I started reading in, in chapters, or in verse 7, it actually says that this law kills us. And that's why Paul calls it this ministry of death and condemnation. It's not a bad God that gave it. It's not even a bad law. It actually reveals how great God is. But the effect on us is that it's not the greatest news. Because it it has this condemnation built into it when we read it. And there's a provision. God, in His grace and love for us, gives even those people a provision in the law of how to deal with sin. And He gives them you know, ways to obtain grace and mercy when you fail. But the overarching effect of that law on us has been like not that great. But there's another ministry. And he calls it, two, he, he phrases it two different ways in here. If you look, he, he phrases it the ministry of the Spirit and then he phrases it the ministry of righteousness. And he says there's this new thing God is doing. This wasn't planned with Nick's scripture at all. It's just kind of an interesting little thing, right? That there is this new thing God did And no longer is God being revealed in this fire that's like over a tent, like yonder. But God is actually coming and indwelling us. Not metaphorically. Two verses from 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Do you not know that your bodies, singular, like individual people, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That word temple, tabernacle, like you're the tent of meeting where the cloud would come and no one could go. Like that's that tent, like you're the tent now. 1 Corinthians 3.16, this is why your prayer time is so great. Do you know that you, and this is the you plural in the Greek, y'all, that you are God's temple and that God dwells in you. So God is in you individually, but He's also in His people. This is, this is where Paul's starting to develop this idea. Like, this is why the new is better. This is why I can call one the ministry of condemnation and death, and I can call this other one the ministry of the Spirit and righteousness. But here's the thing, and I, I hate to just go on this too far, but it it has to be said. This ministry of God, now this spirit and this righteousness in God, is not just a provision for your failures. Do you remember how I just said that? That the old covenant, the old law of God, it provided for when we failed. God uh, created ways for people to come together and offer sacrifice and receive some grace for God. And there was a provision for failure. This new ministry certainly provides provision for failure. This is the whole notion of Jesus dying 
and being a sacrifice for our sins. But it did something actually better. It provides power and a way for us to actually live in righteousness. This is not super common teaching in America, sadly. And I don't know why. I think some of it is we just fail to believe this book sometimes. That's probably the why. We sang it, actually, again, totally unplanned. Living, dying, buried, rising. Right? There's that progression that, yes, you've forgiven our sins, but now... You've actually ascended and rose and you've given us power to actually live. So Romans 8, again, go there later. Romans 8 really unpacks this, but I just want to read this verse. Romans 8, 13 says, If you live, if you live according to the flesh, that is, if you just sort of live like however your body wants to live, just sinful desires, and you just sort of like engage in all that, and, and you just sort of like, that's, that's, your, that's your sort of uh, thing you're setting your life on. If you live that way, you will die. But, if by the Spirit, this ministry of the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. And the cool thing about that verse is that the clear implication is that it's possible. The, I, like... You have to like do some crazy things in your theology of God if you believe that He did all these things and He indwells you like He indwelt the tent, but that you know He has no power to change your life. See, we have a, an assumption sometimes that that the Christian life is all just about being forgiven for when we mess up, and it is, in part. But there's power to live differently. Many of us live this, can I just call it a sin-focused life? Do you know what I mean by that? I'm not meaning that you set your mind on sin. What I mean is that you live your life with Jesus as if it all has to do with managing your sin somehow. And there's a sense in which God says, I want you to live a life-focused life. Stop focusing on what to avoid and start focusing on how you walk with me in a totally new way. It would be like if someone went to an orphan and said, Hey, um, I'm buying you a new, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm adopting you. And they said, you know, all I really want is just a new bed in my orphanage. Or like someone who would, who would go to someone who's homeless and say, Look, I am bringing you into my family. I'm going to make you like a, a, a high up official in my company and you're going to work with me. And he says, You know, all I really want is just like a better pair of socks. Or this is my favorite analogy of this like someone who is missing legs due to maybe some accident in war. And they come back to actually find new legs and they struggle because they can't figure out how their prosthetics fit on their new legs. And how ridiculous would that be? We'd be looking at them and be like, dude, do you not understand? You have legs now. You don't have to worry about the prosthetics. You don't have to worry about the grace that comes from the family. Like you, there's a whole new way of living that's how you're supposed to live. And it's there. And all you can do is look back and say, oh man, I just keep failing and I'm so glad Jesus forgives me, I think. Like, you know, I hope He's not... And, and it's just like, you're, you're missing it. 
There's this whole new ministry. You're looking at like this ministry of death and condemnation, and there, Paul's saying there is this whole, whole new ministry that God is doing that is beyond just managing failure. And it has so much more to do with life that's ahead of us. And this is why in verse 10 he says, Do you remember what had glory? What once had glory, it has come to have no glory at all. That would have been like across the line for some Jews. Wait a minute, no glory? Yeah, no glory. Why? Because of the glory that surpasses it. He's like, this stuff, this new stuff is so great that you look back at the old and you're like, it's not even that great anymore. In fact, it's not really even glorious compared to God in us. And then in verse 11, he just recaps it again so that we're not missing it. He says, for what was being brought to an end came with much, came with glory, much more will the permanent come with glory. Guys, this new, this God in us has always been God's plan. You just have to go back to the first few pages of the Bible in Genesis and God is walking with our first parents. Have you just wondered about what in the world that was like? God is, and Adam and Eve are walking with God. Like, I don't know how long it happened. It, it, like they did it for a while until they sinned. Probably wasn't long, but you know, because they're just like us. Don't blame them, by the way. You would have done the same thing. Um, but the point's not that they get blamed. The point is that there was this way of God interacting with us as humans, and it got marred. And God is saying, "I am," but that's what I'm returning to. That's what I'm trying to have happen again. And so, yeah, we did, this, we did this temporary thing with my law and all that. But the permanent thing is me in you. Me in you. That's the permanent thing. He calls us in Revelation, in Leviticus, in different places, Exodus 19. He says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. Guys, what does a priest do? Any priest. Any priest in any religion, what do they do? What's that? Immediate with God. Okay, yep. That's super succinct. He's exactly right. Priests go into the presence of God and then they come out to the people. That's what every priest, it doesn't matter what religion, every priest does that. And God says, I want a whole bunch of people like that where you come into my presence and then you go out into this world and you represent me to the world and you work with me in what we're doing. This is what I've intended. And originally it was to, to just oversee the world. And now, because of sin, now it's actually working with Him and reconciling the world. And so Jesus' ministry, living perfectly, dying, by, dying vicariously, and then now giving us His Spirit so that this can happen. And so now God is not just near us, like in some cloud in a tent, that He must like that person more. He says, no, 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 I, in the same way that that was, I, I want to dwell inside you. Can you see, church, why Paul is so out of his mind excited about this and why he's using this language that like, would have been super scandalous? Can you see this? He's like, guys, there's this whole new way of living. And here, it's tempting to just stop here and just let this news just soak in. I actually thought about it. And as I was praying, God showed me, we have to wrap this up with two ideas. Because this really is 
like fantastic news, fantastical news. But Paul, he's a super smart writer. He's not putting this in here without a reason. What he's doing in the first eight chapters of 2 Corinthians, he's developing some things. And guess what? These five verses are his base. And we're not going to unpack it all. Don't worry. There's not another sermon coming. But he just keeps building. He starts building some things on this truth. Remember this great glory, this ministry God has given us. Therefore, and I want to just read you four therefores that, that you'll find later. So in, and, uh, actually in the next verse, verse 12, therefore we are very bold. And in verse, uh, in chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore we don't lose heart. In 5.11, he says, therefore we persuade others. And in 7.1, he says, and actually actually in verse 18, he talks about being transformed, but 7.1 says it this way, Therefore, we purify ourselves. We're very bold. We don't lose heart. We persuade others. We purify ourselves. Here's, here's a summary of, of what this is supposed to create in us. It's supposed to create in us the mission of God. We're persuading others and the holiness of God. We are purifying ourselves. It's pointing us towards the priority of Christ, the priority of Jesus for the lost in the world, and it's pointing us towards the character of Christ in His holiness. This this is fuel. This is our one takeaway. This is one of our two takeaways from this passage, is that this truth... By the way, facts don't empower... Okay? Facts don't empower. God's Spirit empowers. So if you read this section, you'd be like, oh, this is the truth. So now I'm just, no, 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 no. The truth in here is that you get God's Spirit. Okay? There's no power in these mere facts. But these facts and the truth in these facts fuels us in what God has for us. And the second thing is that this is only possible through Jesus. Okay, so here, these are the two wrap-ups. One, these truths should fuel us toward the mission of God to see everyone be a tent where the cloud is. And it should fuel us to be more like Christ and walking in holiness. And by the way, can I just say, if you're here and you are stuck in some sinful habit, some destructive habit, I know how this works, and it may be different phrased different ways, but some of you guys are like, I don't know that there's any way I can ever not do this. Dude, can I just tell you, would you please read this over and over and go read Romans 8 over and over and over and over until you begin to believe that God in you transforms us? And some of you are so down, so far down that rabbit hole that you're like, I don't even know what my life would be like without this. If you took this out, like, what am I going to do on Tuesday? Listen, that's a lie of the enemy to intimidate you by fear into not walking in what God has for you. Church, I can't, I cannot stress this enough. God changes us. He doesn't just forgive you in your junk and leave you there. That is nuts. An incomplete gospel message. He forgives your sin, yes. But He is about moving you to be like Jesus, 
by indwelling you with His Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? Like God, this same God that we believe spoke the universe into existence, He puts some of Himself in you. That's crazy. If you have a theological box that like perfectly fits that in, you, you're not thinking. There's no theological way for us to wrap our heads around God in us fully. We can get parts of it, but that is a crazy thought. But that is what we are saying that God does. How can that not change us? How can we not overcome sin and walk in greater measures of victory with God in us? So this truth is a fuel for that, but it's also a reminder that this is only possible in Jesus. Meaning, you don't just take this truth and like try really hard and... Because facts have no power. Jesus died for sin. Jesus lived for righteousness. And Jesus sends the Spirit to do this in us. Jesus is the whole thing. Jesus said a couple of things. You know, if you want, if you're here today, I, I don't know where everyone is today. I, I, I know a few of you from Mexico, but. So I, I don't know. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, I'm just checking out this Jesus thing. Um, I know a few people here, and so I'm here, but I'm not really in. That's cool. It's no problem. Actually, um, you're not here on accident, just so you know. You may think like, oh, I wandered to get a coffee and heard some noise and I'm accidentally here. No, you're not. God wants you desperately to hear this. And if I can just boil down the whole message of our Christian faith to two things, it's this. Number one, Jesus is asking us just to believe who he is. Some of you guys have grown up in church, you've heard that phrase, you just got to have faith. That's such a... like. Like, just broad thing. What the heck does that even mean? Here's what it means. Here's what it means. You just have to believe that Jesus is who He says He is. Because if you believe that, it totally wrecks your world. Think about this. What we're saying is that there was a man who walked on the earth and said He was God. And then He proved it. If we believe that, everything that dude said is like the most important thing we've ever heard. Right? Jesus is saying, first of all, you just, will you just believe me? When I say that I'm the Son of God, when I say that I'm the only way to the Father, when I say that I've died for your sins and I'll cover them, when we stand together before God, will you just believe me? And when I say that I'm going to give you the Spirit of God after I leave, will you just believe me? And then, secondly, I just want you to stand in allegiance to me. Because guess what? Satan believes Jesus is who he says he is. He says, I just want you to believe me, and then I want you just to just stand with me. I want you just to like become a, a citizen of my kingdom. I want your allegiance. Like, just stand with me. If you stand with me and believe me, all of these things become possible. And so, what do we do with this? Well, if you are here and you would call yourself a Christian... I just want to remind you today that God has a mission for you. Actually, that's not, that's incomplete. You were made to be part of God's mission. And when we look at a passage like this, it's just, this is, by the way, this is some of the goodness of the good news. You know, we talk about the good news. What's the good news? The good news is like this broad thing, but this is part of it. This is this, like God in us, this new, this new ministry, this new way of God working with us. You have a call to mission and you have a call to the character of Jesus. 
And this, the truths in here, reveal the empowering of your call. And so my question for for us in that boat would be, what do you need to walk a little stronger in? What do you need to believe a little bit more? And, and not just like, you know, some sort of ethereal thought, like, seriously, like, when are you going to do that this week? What are you going to do to get a, away with God and say, I see this, and I see all through Scripture that you've created me to be like Jesus, and I'm not, and I want to grow in that. God, how do I take a step in that direction? Or I see, I was having this great conversation last night with someone about, I see, I'm starting to see that God has made me to not actually just stand from a distance and you know, sort of point people to Jesus, but to actually be in, engaged in people's lives and saying, yes, let me help you see Jesus. And you're like, I don't, I need to take a step in that. Here's what I would say. Like, when are you going to do that? When are you going to take time this week to just pull away, however it is that you pull away, and ask God to begin to show you how this looks. And if you're, again, like I said here, and you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian, I, I, I just, I, I can't. I can't tell you enough how non-accidental it is that you're here. And how this offer... Remember how we prayed at the beginning, guys, that God would come and speak to us? Because He does that, because we believe it, because we're idiots if we don't. He's speaking to some of you. And you're going to have to do something with it. Because you know now And it's this great invitation to walk as a son or daughter of God. Can you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for answering our prayer to come and speak to us. This is such great news we look back and we see all the things you did with that nation and how it was just crazy and then we look at today and Paul's saying it's guys it's even better it's like it makes that look like not even all that great and yet God so often we walk in this life as if we're just trying not to make you angry and we're just trying not to take too much of your grace to cover our sin And yet there is like this whole other perspective that's like, stop it. Stop looking at what I'm empowering you to do. And Jesus, we just want to say with all of the angels in heaven and all of the saints that have died and gone before us, that it is you that empowers this. And we bless you for that. And we worship you for that. That you are the one who sent the Spirit of God to live in us. Would you show us? Would you show us how we can take another step in living this way? Would you show us ways that you want to work in our lives that we can't, it's almost hard to imagine a different way. And Lord, for those who are not, they wouldn't identify with you yet, but would you remind them that the guilt that they feel right now, it it is legitimate, but that you're ready to take it. 
And would you work in all of us that we would walk closer to you, more filled with your spirit for everything that lies ahead. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.